This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. We're in Prague, Czechia today for this episode of the podcast, continuing our tour of uh, the Czech Republic. Joining me today on the podcast is Lukas Tamsa uh, from Dva Koti. Did, did I get it correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Koti? Almost perfect. I, I've got I've to soften up that T a little bit, I think, yeah, to get yeah, it correct. Yeah. It's, uh, almost perfect. It's Dva Kohoti, but the uh, Czech language and Czech pronunciation is pretty hard. <laughs> so... I, uh, by the time this trip is over, I'll, I'll get it correct. Where is it the Karlin district of Prague? Yes, yes, yes. Karlin district, which was flooded uh, some time ago. And since then, it's been rebuilt. And I think by one time, it's been the area of Europe that has highest per capita cafeteria for square kilometer or something like that. So it's, it's a very renewing process for this area. And... You can see it all around here. So, well, this is—it's uh, quite a—it's a small craft brewery. Uh, you know, basically a ten hectoliter brew system. Most of the beer is sold here, with some small accounts outside. You focus on uh, creative beers as well as classic beers, and so uh, the beers that you make here in the brewery are everything from pale Czech uh, lager to uh, uh, IPA. And uh, you've got anyway, you've got some interesting processes around this. I love the fact that you even make things like IPA using a decoction, applying some traditional Czech techniques to uh, some of these beer styles uh, that are top fermenting ale styles. Um, we're going to talk about everything from your approach to Czech lager to those kinds of traditional Czech brewing methods applied to uh, to modern ales. Uh, we're also going to talk about your focus on service because that's a piece of uh, of the approach. Of the brewery itself. Before we do that, for years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24 7 service and support. GD builds with non proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. GD's in house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years. They offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG, whose mission is simple, to help brewers craft the best beer possible. This is why BSG hops are sourced directly from growers and processed at their FSSC certified facility, giving you access to high quality and unique varieties like Cashmere, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, plus many more. Discover a whole universe of hop sensory at bsgcraftbrewing.com slash hops. And scheduling freight carriers should be the last thing on a brewer's mind, so why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your flavored craft fruit concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes. To get started, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. So, Lucas, let's talk about uh, you know the brewery here. Give us some background on the brewery and also your own path through brewing. Um, you grew up close to, to brewing right here from a teenager. Um, you took a little uh, diversion to North America for a little bit. You've come back. You left the industry. You came back to the industry, uh, and you're doing it with a with a pretty uh, uh, 
you know, creative, but also grounded point of view. Uh, give us a little bit of your background through brewing first. All right. I'll start with myself. Uh, so I, for some reason, I'm a Czech born, Czech Christ uh, person. And I started playing baseball at the age of nine, <laughs> which was kind of fun. And it still is. Uh, actually, the Czech national team was just at the uh, WBC and they did pretty well. Um, but it, in Czech Republic, baseball is still very, very small sure, sport. Sure. And I met my best friend since the age of 10, Adam Matushka. And his father is one of the best brewmasters in Czech Republic, period. And he worked at a brewery at the time and we started to come there for part-time job bottling. Was, I think we were 13, 14. And I started to like the brewery the feeling the processes and so on so when matushkas opened their own brewery i worked there part-time uh, when i started uh, study at the university i actually studied uh, international relations but uh, during that time i worked in the brewery i already helped uh, with the brewing process in the cellar and so on delivery kegging of bottling and after uni, I left for New Zealand for about half a year. And when I was there, uh, Adam texted me like, hey, we are expanding. Would you like to come and work for us full time? I was like, you know, it's something I really enjoy. I really like, so why not? Uh, I came back. I started to work there. And I basically learned the craft at uh, Piovar Matushka. So it was, to me, one of the best possible ways to learn because uh, uh, education is one thing which I try to self-educate myself but the experiences are the things that actually put you over the top and that helps you uh, learn how it really works. So I worked there, I started in the cellar, I made my way up to a brewer in Piovar Matushka and then we wanted to leave for some time again. I do like to travel. I spent a year in the UK and New Zealand, half a year in New Zealand. Uh, I was in the US for a year. And then we decided to go to Canada. Uh, we got the working holiday visas and we went to Vancouver. And about second or third day, I found a job in Greenleaf Brewing, which is uh, in North, North Shore, Vancouver, right by the sea bus. And I spent great two, mountain biking up there in yeah, North Shore, oh, Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fell off with my mountain biking back there, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny because now I'm spoiled because my first mountain biking I ever done was in Whistler. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> where do you go from there? So. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I started in Greenleaf. It was great two years. I took care of the whole brewery after some time and. Uh, after that, uh, my wife got pregnant and we were like, okay, so what are the options? The best way was to come back to Czech Republic. So uh, even though we enjoyed Vancouver and Canada very much, uh, we moved back to Czech Republic. And here I actually found a job at the, at the technological company, Czech technological company that uh, provides technology for big, big breweries. Uh, uh, they are water, pasteurization, and so on. And it was really good background technologically for me. And uh, 
good good year as well but uh, after a year behind a computer and uh, selling uh, good but still selling technology <laughs> uh, my best friend Adam and uh, Lukas Oboda uh, master bartender for Pilsner Rockwell for locals they came and they were like uh, you know we are coming with this new concept brewery with a tap room where we want to brew the best beer and properly pour it the way we want do you want to be a brewmaster there? You want to join us? I was like, yeah, <laughs> no brainer. So yeah, that's how I came to be here. Uh, I'm here since opening. I was actually helping set it up uh, during the building process here. So I know this place from top to bottom and back how, on. How long has this been operating? Uh, it's now four years and about four months. We opened December or 6th of December 2018. So. so it's an interesting, even though it's a newer brewery in that sense, mm -hmm. it's still rooted in both of these kind of, you know, yes. classic, very well-respected, uh, uh, you know, uh, partners that are behind mm -hmm. it. Um, but this one is also very creatively focused as well as, and I think, you know, the more time that I spend here in the Czech Republic, the more interesting, it, more interesting it gets to see how you have this layer of modernity, you know, that, that coexists with this historical focus. And that happens everywhere. It happens in the architecture. It happens, you know, where you have modern buildings next to classic buildings. It happens you know, within modern interiors inside of classic buildings. And, and so these things aren't at odds or opposition to each other. They are just this kind of, this is just the way that, you know, culture and creativity and aesthetics live here. Talk to me a little bit about the brewery itself. Yeah, so uh, everything you just said, uh, it's true, especially with Vakahoti, which uh, Adam Matushka, Lukáš Svoboda, they are the grandfathers, the brains behind the whole concept and the connection of brewing and pouring crafts. And uh, you can see it in this concept. Uh, they, both of the guys, those guys are very creative. They are very well traveled, and this is very much inspired in the in England, in the U.S., in Copenhagen, everywhere that has good craft beer pubs. But also, there is a huge sense of uh, history and respect for the craft, which is projected here with the brewing and with the pouring as well. So this is kind of a connection of those two, old and new, just take the best from each and try to try to make it a new here. So and the name of the brewery translates to two roosters. Yes, yes, exactly. Which you all, you two you've roosters, got your two founders. So, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the basic sense, it means the connection of the brewing and, uh, and the pouring of the beer. You know, because usually it was the brewmaster brewed the beer and the top man were like, oh, this is not good. And then the brewmaster was like, oh, you pour it pretty bad. So they were always fighting here. It's uh, like under one roof. The two roosters are under one roof. You have the process under control from the main ingredients to the final glass that the customer gets. And that's the main focus to have always the best beer in the best shape in the glass. That's the main idea of two roosters that are not fighting here <laughs> sure and sure. in a broader sense also the guys adam and lukash and the connection also of the two groups behind those guys uh, adam matushka is co-owner at one of the best craft 
breweries in Czech Republic, Pivovar Matuška. And Lukáš Svoboda is co-owner at uh, Local CZ, which is under Ambiente, which is one of the best restaurant groups in Czech Republic. So in a lower sense also connection of those two brands and the know-how of each. One is uh, to run a pub and to serve a customer, pour a beer, and the other one is the brewing. I come from Adam and from the brewing side, obviously. So, But the brewery itself is even set up that way, where the tap room is adjacent, the brewery kind of stretches around it, and it's even set up in a linear fashion where the the, the brew ha- the kettle, uh, you know, mash tun and kettle are on the far left, and it stretches around with... Uh, with fermenters and then you know all the way to uh the uh the service of the beer the you know the bar itself uh with serving tanks behind it and so it's all visible the whole process uh is wide open for everybody to see yes yes, yes. that that was the main idea there was lots of ideas how to do it how to make it and we had a great architect Teresa Frankova, which uh, designed this place and this is what she came up with because in the brewery behind tops you usually go from left to right right from one to whatever and she's like okay let's do it this way so you come in from the main door and from left to right it's the process of brewing the process of the beer until the final glass and here the focus is to have everything open to have everything almost by the touch of a hand <laughs> which was something i was pretty worried about because as you can see behind you and the kettle and the brew house and the tanks is only so small <laughs> right yeah yeah but uh so far the people are great they don't touch what the what they don't <laughs> need to touch and it, it works fine so you are able to feel like you are brew uh, you are drinking in a brewery actually because it's right next to you and it's a great feeling as well. We don't hide anything. We don't even have a space to hide it because this is the only space we have. Right, right, right. So uh, it works that way as well. And we try to be educative towards the customers. If you want to know anything, if you are interested in anything, come to us, talk to us. Uh, if a stranger comes, I will happily give him the receipt for uh, a receipt for Misni uh, Pivo or whatever. And just, uh, you know... As long well, you, as we can. Just wait. Joe's going to ask you for that recipe. Uh, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> when we finish right here. Yeah. And in fact, yes. <laughs> you know, I just. Uh, I you really can't enjoy wait. You're waving that flag in front of the bull right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I really enjoy sharing. And, you yeah. know, I usually try to take something from anyone I talk to as well. So I think that's the way forward. Cool. Well, I want to talk about how you do this, because, again, like I said, you've got this mix of tradition and modernity and those things come together and interesting and they recombine in different kind of ways. Before we do that, AccuBrew announces the addition of specific gravity to their suite of brewing tools. AccuBrew is a revolutionary fermentation monitoring system. Their mobile app and stainless steel CIP ready sensor work together to predict specific gravity every 15 minutes, detect problems before they ruin a batch, share data, make notes, control access, and schedule reminders anywhere, anytime. AccuBrew is your set it and forget it solution to tracking every batch. No more samples, no calibration, and virtually zero maintenance. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Visit with the developers at booth 2935 at the 2023 CBC Brew Expo America. Also, ProBrew has been a dedicated and trusted partner to breweries, especially when they make the leap to canning their product. That's why they only sell rotary can fillers, which significantly reduce product waste 
and produce higher quality products than an inline can filler. Need proof? Visit Pro Brew at Booth 433, as well as at their party at Yazoo Brewing at this year's Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville. To RSVP to their event or schedule time with them at the show, visit them at probrew.com slash CBC or email contact us at probrew.com. Probrew, brew your beer. And Indie Hops breeds new hop varieties to help brewers captivate beer lovers. Indie's unique varieties like Strata, Lorian, Luminosa, and Meridian are trusted by brewers worldwide to modernize, brighten, and diversify their beer lineup. Indie also offers classics that thrive in Oregon terroir, such as Chinook, Crystal, and Sterling, thoughtfully crafted and selected hops to meet your brewing needs. Visit IndieHops.com podcast and stop by their booth number 2131 at CBC to discover what's new in hop flavors. Indie Hops, life is short. Let's make it flavorful. All right, Lucas. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk first about your uh, your you know pale check lager, and then from there we can use that as a jumping off point to talk about things like the uh, decocted pale ale that I'm drinking right now. That's uh, that's really really enjoyable. Um, served in this traditional Czech way, obviously with the different approach. Anyway, there's a lot of things we can talk about because you've got some you've got beers that you brew here that stretch from kettle sour IPA pale ale as well as this uh, you know Czech pale lager. Uh, and a whole bunch of other brewers that are brewed by Matushka, you know, and others, including their, you know, it, it's interesting to see that this, this broad range of beers right here, but, but let's talk about these core beers that are branded Misni. Is that, uh, yeah. So, uh, the main idea behind the brewery was, uh, to showcase the beers that are brewed here as well as the guest beers, I'll call it, uh, which Matushka is a residential guest probably call it because we have their beers all the time mm -hmm. but Misni is the brand of our beer uh, it means local so Misni whatever is local people local beer local sour local IPA and so on and that's everything from the core beers to uh, specials or one one-time batches um, basically we don't have core beers we have one core beer, <laughs> one flagship, which is uh, Misni Pivo, a local beer or a local lager. And it's our take on the Pilsner style lager. Sure. So what, how do you start with your take on that? What, is, um, what does your take mean? And uh, Actually, this beer that's uh, designed between myself and Adam Matushka, when we opened, we designed, we came up with the beer together. Uh, we wanted, we had a special idea in our heads obviously how we want the beer taste to look and so on but we didn't want to copy the beers at Matushka which was hard for Adam so uh, it's a bit different uh, we use uh, darker Pilsner malt in there obviously it starts with Pilsner malts uh, Czech uh, barley darker Pilsner malt, uh... it's, uh, it's just a way of producing it we try different uh, different uh, suppliers uh, this one is a little bit darker the pale ale has been a little bit higher ebc and it also gives a bit uh, deeper mouthfeel a little bit of those almost caramelly notes from the from the caramel malts but it's uh, much uh, much closer to the bread feeling mm. of that you want to get when you drink czech lager you know the fullness of the body where do so, you where do you source this malt from? This is from Moravia. Okay. Uh, to fly from Prostyov, the barley is from Moravia, malted in Moravia. We get it from there. Uh, so 
this is the basic mild, the base mild, the backbone of the beer, and the one that I'm very, very happy about because it really gives the beer that the mouthfeel, the deep, deep uh, bread-like feeling on your on your palate, and also nice uh, deeper color than you would get from paler malts, and that's. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, we do put in a little bit of Munich malt, just for the biscuity, mm. bready. Uh, so you say a little bit, how much? Uh, it's about 10 kilos. Well, no, it's exactly 10 kilos for uh, the 10 hectoliters of uh, Misni Pivo. We use 187 kilos of malt, 175 of Pilsner malt, 10 kilos of Munich and 2 kilos of raw barley. Which is for the proteins or for, for the foam. Raw barley. As uh, yeah. probably you already noticed, we do like our hats on our beers. <laughs> so as uh, as uh, I have heard, uh, the more head on the beer, the more the uh, beer server loves you. And uh, if they, <laughs> uh, it depends. Uh, basically, the head. If we get no foam, head, then uh, it might be a bad signal, right? Uh, it depends. There are some. St- Pouring styles that actually require it to be poured as without head as sure. in England or US, but the head is the protection. So the way we do it, you pour a little bit of the foam, you put the faucet under the foam, and then you open the faucet for the beer, and that's the beer under the foam, protect it, and uh, you don't have any aroma losses, any flavor losses. So it's a way of pouring, way of uh, pouring the beer that works really, really well, and it makes a huge difference actually. But that works its way back into the recipe in terms of the ingredients that you need to push in order to make sure that the beer as it's poured can sustain that kind of with this amazing lacing. Even, I should mention to people that can't see this here, we have a pink colored kettle sour that also has some incredible foam with a really slight uh, pink tinge to it. Um, that is also, as it now drops, uh, producing a beautiful, uh, persistent lacing on the glass. And it was decocted. And, and it's decocted. We'll get into that later. Um, you know, so it, so that applies, of course, that kind of discipline in, in all of these applies across all of these styles. But let's let's stay focused on the the, the Pilsner style, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pale yeah, lager, yeah. If, you know, for the time being. Um, you know, so how much? So you mentioned there is raw barley, and I just missed. What you talked about in terms of the amount of that? Um, was about two kilos okay, for so, 187. So pretty small. So, yeah, yeah, very small. It just gives the little extra proteins for the foam uh, and give the foam the ability to stay the way you want it, basically. That's uh, that's it. But you can use uh, flakes as well, but uh, barley, raw barley is more traditional Czech way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you go through this, you know, in terms of, of hops, are, are you sticking with a, a historical or classic uh, Czech approach to hops on this? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it's just those base malts. It's a double mesh decoction for the Misni Pivo. Uh, we actually did some blind tasting. We brewed two similar batches, one day and another day. One was single, ma- single mesh, one was double mesh. And even though you knew, you couldn't tell the difference that how good the malts are these mm. days. Yeah. But we are doing it uh, double malt decoction 
just because it's nice and historical and we like it that way, <laughs> obviously. So you found no difference between a single and double decoction, but you exactly. still just double decoct anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That sounds a little crazy. Well, you know, <laughs> we are that way in Czech Republic, I guess, uh, Is it when just, it comes to brewing. I mean, I guess, you know, that it's going to you know, help you hit your mash steps anyway as you as you go through. And so uh, it's just the way you brew yeah, a lager. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You want it, uh, there's always what if. What if it gives something extra? What if it's a little bit more drinkable? What if it tastes a little bit better? Why not to do it? It's not a huge difference between single and double mesh. Time-wise, it's like extra hour, maybe. Or it's, sometimes it's, uh, it's a lot, but usually not that much. But uh, what if it's better? So we keep it double mesh decoction. If the energies don't go higher than they are, we will keep it that way, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's uh, double mesh decoction for the Misni Pivo. It gives that uh, special bread-like feeling, the full mouthfeel, full palate uh, when you drink the beer. That's uh, that's what we want from the from the Czech lager, really. And it's interesting to hear you describe it that way because I think a lot of you know, especially American brewers and American beer fans, when they think of lager, you know, these days it's associated with crisp, and it's associated with light, and it's associated with lightest color. And to hear you talk about it this way, with Munich malt, with a decoction process, with the intention of creating more body and more color. Um, and is this a this is a steam or is this a direct fire system that you bring on? This is a special kettle, I would say it's steam, but it we don't have a steam generator. It generates steams by itself. It has a it has a double jacket that has uh, uh, electrical elements inside and a reservoir of uh, mm. distilled water, which creates uh, the steam necessary for for heating because steam is very gentle for the beer yeah sure it's the best sure. way and uh this way when the kettle generates its own steam it's perfect because you don't have the steam losses when you have steam generator somewhere you need to pipe it over to the kettle mm -hmm. this way it's uh from martin matushka again uh, i'm not sure if it's his own design or if he saw it somewhere but it's perfect really so mm -hmm. it's very very good and uh you have the necessary uh, power to boil it to heat it up and you don't have those spots where it's burned uh, with with the malt inside. So you're not driving color through the kind of uh, direct Maillard reaction of uh, of direct no, fire no. but you are are trying to do that through the whole decoction exactly. process exactly. yeah if i want to do that i would uh, try something different that's what i did in uh, in vancouver uh, there was one batch each year but when we use the pilot system when we put the current stones in it and put it into the wort to caramelize the the, the star uh, the sugars well, it was interesting as well it was great but yeah. it's a bit different process here i'm very happy that we have this gentle process of uh, heating it up and boiling it that doesn't impact the final beer sure sure um you, you know as i've talked to other brewers here you know, they talked about the, the you know the the mash regimen as being a way to adjust and control the expression of diacetyl in the beer. That's I I I can't say that as we're tasting your pale check lager that that's a noticeable component for you, even though that may be a more noticeable component for some other Czech brewers. Uh, how do you all approach that? Well, first of all, I'm very happy because I'm almost blind to diacetyl, yeah. uh, which is very good when you're drinking sure, Czech sure. lagers. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I work in it. Uh, I know it's not in my DNA, 
but yeah, uh, I yeah. try to focus on that because I need to be able to detect it, right? Uh, that settle as such, I think it's becoming already uh, allowed in Czech pilsners, in Czech beers, because in some it's in such a huge amounts that uh, it just <laughs> doesn't make sense to say it's a fault. Uh, sure, sure. Again, personally, I we don't talk about off flavor. We just talk <laughs> about attributes, and yeah. sometimes those attributes reach levels where they are distracting. And sometimes True. those are attributes that can work within an overall mm. flavor. It's it's not that anything is right or wrong. It's simply how it's used mm. and how it breaks the experience for you. Or you know, and and then, you know, different communities of drinkers have different thresholds yeah, for yeah. these things. I think uh, North Americans in general are very very uh, uh, sensitive to diacetyl as compared to at least Czech people, maybe European people. So yeah. that's why. Uh, you an American notice it in America much more than yeah. in, in, in Europe. Uh, We've also been beaten with this dogma that it's uh, that it's a fault. Yeah, that I any think amount the, of it is a fault. And uh, that comes that's down right wrong, to yeah. fermentation when, uh, in the U.S. or North America, maybe rest of the world as well. Uh, the brewers are fermenting the lagers at higher temperatures where the settle breaks. But in Czech Republic, the fermentation temperatures would be around eight, nine degrees uh, maximum, which doesn't allow the settle to break, right? I do like to ferment at higher temperatures. We ferment lagers at around 12 to 13 degrees, which is kind of high for Czech lagers. Yeah. But it works well for the diacetyl, and uh, I like it that way. Hey, <laughs> okay. hey. Okay. Well, let's let's you know kind of follow through that process. What then uh, you know what does your approach to hops then look like from uh, you know as you stay and we'll just kind of follow the brew process. We're working through mash and now uh, now you're moving into the boil. Um, you know what what does hopping look like at that point? So uh, if we keep with the misni pivo, the local lager, uh, we hop three times. Uh, the first one I think that's uh, specifically Czech. Uh, we put the first hops in the first wort that you run from the lottering ton. Mm -hmm. And you keep the first hops through the whole lottering. Then you what does that do for it? Is that just traditional? Uh, <laughs> traditional. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, I don't think you would be able to tell the difference. <laughs> but what if? Yeah, it's traditional. Yeah. It's uh, specifically Czech. I'm sure there are some uh, scientific uh, studies that will tell you what it does and doesn't. Sure. Uh, the question is what it does to uh, taste at the end. but uh, It's all becoming very popular these days, especially mm. with thialized uh, yeasts, you know, and trying to uh, set in some of those thiol precursors mm. for some of these more contemporary uh, hoppy-focused beers. Um, but hey, there you are doing it uh, with, uh, you know, in the original way of Czech lager. We do like to follow the tradition. And uh, yeah. I think for a Czech brewer, I'm very open-minded, <laughs> so sure. we are very traditionalists, I think, uh, when it comes to brewing. But then, yeah, we put the first hops in the first wort. Usually, again, it depends on the style. With the Pilsner style, we do it this way. With, with most beers, we do it. But uh, if I want to go more uh, modern style, maybe we put it when the boil starts or depends. And then the second hops go in, in the middle, really, yeah. that goes. And 
at the end of the boil, which is usually 15 minutes till the end of the boil, we do the third edition. Usually split it. Uh, the middle edition is about 50%, and then we play around with 20, 30, 25, 25, mm -hmm. so on. So depends uh, on that. That would be it for the Pilsner. For These the are lagers. Saz hops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We use uh, for the Misni Pivo, we actually use Saz Special for the first and second edition, and Saz for second and third. So we mix the second edition. The Saz Special is the uh, daughter of Saz, basically. It's just uh, a tiny bit more, I would say, herb-like, spice-like. Little, little bit rougher bitterness, but mm. we are still talking about noble hop bitterness. So yeah, yeah. very unnoticeable, but the combination works well. It's really fun. And uh, it's, yeah, again, it's something I do like and <laughs> something and we do. How does that differ from, say, I mean, obviously you're trying to make this a different beer than, say, Matushka's, uh, you know, pale check lager or pale lager. Um, you know, how does that special versus just say saws throughout? It would be, again, in, on the nose, it would be touch more spicier, the aroma and uh, bitterness, even though still very, very uh, nice and uh, smooth, it would be a bit more. Uh, like a spiky kind of, mm. you know, touch more uh, rough, but very slight difference. Right, a little maybe end. more defined edge, yeah, I would yeah, call it, yeah, rather yeah. than rough. Because <laughs> now, we, Joe and I came by here the you know, last night, had some, and the first thing that struck me was like, oh, this is a nice structure, you know, <laughs> to this. And uh, and it's, it, yes, it's bitterness, but it didn't come across necessarily as bitter bitterness. It just mm. came across as you know, just, just a nice firm structure behind the beer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in general, the Czech hops, the European hops, German hops, Czech hops are very, very, the bitterness is very smooth. It's kind of inviting you to next sip because it's something you come to enjoy after yeah. a few sips and like, oh, you know, and it's a contrast to if I do a West Coast IPA, I want those rough bitterness of the yeah. American hops and I want it to bite really. Sure. So... So are the differences, and if you have it uh, lager and IPA, you will notice. But if you go smoothly, like the pale ale we just drank, that's uh, hopped in the kettle with sa special only. So the bitterness is a bit more intense, a bit more well-rounded. <laughs> but uh, is there a little bit no more noticeable than in the lager where the sas hops are as well? I'm still finishing mine here, and I'm... <laughs> I don't want to finish it because I'm enjoying it so much, and I know it's going to be gone here in a second. But uh, no, that's fantastic. So, uh, but I'm I'm curious about. So, what's, what's the IBU goal? What is the the Misni Pivo? The IBU goal was 40, which we uh, we are around that in like 38 to 42, maybe mm -hmm. from the laboratory usually. But uh, yeah, 40 I think is great. Uh, Pilsner Urko has 40. That was the aim. Even though the bitterness, it's a bit more noticeable because we don't filter, we don't pasteurize. Mm -hmm. So it's it's there a bit more. But uh, yeah, it's on the higher end of the spectrum for Pilsners. But I think with the whole body, with the little bit darker Pilsner malts, it's well balanced towards the bitterness. Bitter Pilsner is great. Exactly. I, I'm going to speak yeah, for yeah. Joe on this one, but... Uh, 
Pilsner should be bitter, and uh, everyone should feel free to make it more bitter if they feel so uh, so moved. Well, let's talk about fermentation then. Uh, you know, obviously you're fermenting in cylindroconical, you know, fermenters. You mentioned that you ferment a little bit warmer in order to, uh, you know, help break some of that diacetyl. What is what does fermentation look like on this beer though? So uh, we do, as you noticed, we have uh, one or two CCTs, uh, one twenty hectoliters, one ten hectoliters, and we have six. X uh, bright tanks, <laughs> which were made in uh, 1991, 1992, all six of them. And we ferment in closed tanks, either CCT or uh, the tanks, normal tanks or X bright tanks. Uh, usually the primary fermentation would be around three days, plus minus, depends. Hmm. We pitch the yeast from the tank to the bucket and from the bucket to the tank, so it's not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just cone to cone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, have enough of it, uh, not much, and that's it. But yeah, I would say three, four days, and then we... Is there a specific uh, yeast that you use for this? Yes, uh, we use uh, Czech bottom fermented yeast <laughs> from Pilsner. Well, it's uh, uh, the strain is from White Sipan, I think, so it's a uh, very, very good yeast for fermentation uh, I don't think it's the one that uh, well it's not the one that Pilsner Rockwell uses but uh, it's great it breaks diacetyl well it ferments well at uh, higher temperatures as well as lower ones it sediments nicely and the uh, taste is just great so we try different one sometimes when we want to experiment but mm -hmm. we always come back those yeast uh, for the lagers doesn't matter which lagers it is we use those most often sometimes for Oktoberfest beer we use German yeast and so on but uh, sure. for all lagers we use those uh, now I notice every tank that you have here has a uh, uh, spending valve or valve for you know, na uh, natural carbonation. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, I assume that's going to be a piece of the spirit too. Definitely, yeah. That's, uh, I would say, a standard in Czech Republic. Yeah. For sure, uh, natural carbonation. So we do, the primary fermentation would be about three, four days. In two or three days, you close it up and uh, the pressure goes up uh, and we slowly start to lower the temperature. So the uh, CO2, the carbon dioxide, starts to dissolve into the beer and you naturally carbonate it. To me, this is uh, super important because like, letting the beer go dry and then taking a bottle of CO2 and putting it to the tank is kind of like a wasting money, really, <laughs> and wasting sure, CO2, sure. wasting everything. So it just piece of technology. It's uh, not expensive. Uh, you can uh, set the pressure. You just need to calculate at what uh, percentage you need to close it to be to have enough to carbonate it, right. but not uh, not too much. So it's gonna take for another month to <laughs> ferment sure. all the sugars, right? And it's perfect. The natural carbonation it's much better because uh, yeast are microscopic organism. They produced bubbles of CO2 that are so tiny and they dissolve into the beer much better and also the carbonation that way is much nicer to the palate right it's not like drinking coca-cola that's what you do if sure. you do forced carbonation badly but it's very nice very pleasant and again invites you to another sip and you want to drink more and helps fill this entire approach to check presentation with uh you know that milky head that uh that is so soft but it also depends on some of that 
really fine carbonation to you know to break out in that kind of controlled manner. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I want to change gears and talk about some of the more contemporary beer styles that you brew using some uh, some of these classic methods. Before we do that, hear that? That's the sound of your beer out in the world, hanging out at parties, going on adventures, meeting new people. It's carbonated to perfection, and the can art looks slick. Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems knows how to capture quality in a can. Their custom-built canning lines combine high quality with affordability so that people can get a taste of your tap room from any room. Visit twinmonkeys.net today and learn just how easy it is to get your craft into cans. Also, Brett is wild, it's unpredictable, gives funky notes to beer, evolves in time. Historically, it's used with no control, but Fermentus has harnessed it. Discover Soft Brew BR8, the first dry Brett by Fermentus, now available in 100 grams and five grams. Are you coming to CBC in Nashville Monday, May 8th, 2 to 4.30 p.m. during CBC hours. Fermentus has teamed up with the Brussels Beer Challenge to congratulate all American winners of last year's BBC. After the ceremony, they'll transition to a casual soft brew BR8 barnyard bash. Try some beers brewed with soft brew BR8 and mingle with their experts to ask them all of your questions. See you there. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. Going to the CBC in Nashville, stop by their booth, connect with their brewery consultants, and enter for a chance to win a keg Viking keg washer. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. So let's pivot here and talk about some of these approaches to making uh, uh, more contemporary beer styles. Like I said, you know, we see Misni Zimni IPA. Uh, we just finished Misni Ale, the, the pale ale. Um, maybe I, I really do. And now I'm drinking this Misni. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> your, uh, your very pink kettle sour. Uh, and I'm fascinated by this approach to decocting everything. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. Um, you know, what does a pale ale look like for you? And then, you know, obviously going through that mashing process, what on earth, what kind of value comes from a decoction process, you know, using, uh, you know, a, a pale malt in a, in a ale like that? That's uh, I think great question. Great uh, debate as well. Uh, I kind of approach the beers from the end point so imagining what I want to have in the glass what I want to feel when I drink it what I want to feel when I smell it and then go from there so decoction to me is a much more approachable beer for Czech people for sure because that's the backbone that you recognize from lagers but also it gives the ales kettle sours whatever it gives that uh, feeling of fullness that you want on the palate, right? And there are beers, and I actually, in past year, I brewed quite a few which are really dry, which I really enjoy dryness sometimes. But uh, when I go, when I want to brew beer that's, uh, let's say, approachable for a general public, I would probably go for decoction just because the drinkability of decoction it's much higher than 
the infusion, at least in Czech Republic. And I think when you say drinkability, though, what what does that mean? Uh, you know, what is decoction do doing for those that is actually creating that? Is it a, a smoothness? Is it a richness? Is it a I mean, you mentioned the fullness and the, mm -hmm. and the kind of body that comes from that, you know, but it, it's. You know, I, I would assume as I taste your beers, I might call it something like a polish, you know, that mm -hmm. it seems to it, it yeah. seems to have, you know, kind of created this, you know, smooth finish, you know, uh, you know to everything where they, they pull together and I'm not seeing like the acidity isn't hanging out on top of this, you know, that that all of the, the character feels nicely fully integrated no matter what the other flavor expressions are in the beer, whether that was the, the ale or, or this beer. Yeah, that's actually very good examples with the ale and the kettle sour where the decoction makes the fullness the body of the beer, which kind of uh, supplements the hole created by the sourness or the bitterness. And it makes it uh, kind of whole, right? It's very theoretical, I think. And, sure, uh, sure million people, Subject million different debate, uh, everyone, right, right, <laughs> right. opinions. So, uh, but we do focus here, we do focus on drinkability because if you brew great beer and two people will enjoy it, they will say it's the best beer ever, but I can't drink anymore. Well, you know, we want to still sell the beer, but we want to have a great beer. We want to have beer as we want it, but it needs to be drinkable more and more. If we do West Coast IPA, I'll go ATIBUs, uh, dry, very bitter, very harsh. And I know it's not for everyone, but when I do beers like Misni Pivo, which is a Pilsner lager, then I do Misni Ale, which is our second regular beer, and it's ale, and it should be for drinking all night. You want that uh, roundness in the taste of the beer. So you don't want that harsh bitterness. You want the body. You want the bitterness, but balanced by the body of the beer, which uh, decoction makes. And make no mistake, I love infusion as well. And I drank some of the best lagers made with infusion. It depends on the malt uh, bill. Obviously, if you do it well, you almost, almost can't tell the difference. And I think almost, if, almost, almost, there's, there's uh, <laughs> something that you recognize sure, if sure. you if you really pay attention. If you don't, you won't be able to tell the difference. And I know it's you can brew a great lager with infusion. You can great uh, brew a great ale with decoction. It's just your picture of the beer. You, what do you want from the beer when you have it in the glass? And again. Very theoretical question, very debatable answer, I think. It uh, depends on the brewer, on the brewmaster, on the brewery. What do you want to give your customers? What do you want to kind of uh, showcase in your beers, right? And we just do decoction with the... We don't have core beers. It's uh, one core beer and then the rest is sort of specials. But in the beers we brew more often... You want that drinkability that comes with the decoction that balances out the sourness, the bitterness, and so on. And also, we do play to the palate of the Czech drinker, which is used to decoction lagers, right? 
So to me, yeah, the cooking sure. is amazing. Infusion is amazing. Depends sure. what you want to showcase. In and the you've beer. done both throughout your career. So let's. Uh, how does does your decoction process differ when you're using, say, you know, pale? Or I, and I shouldn't assume that you're using churro pale malt. You know, and not pilsner malt. You know, how how does how do you approach that kind of malt piece for, say, Missney Ale or the IPA? How does that differ from the pale lager? Well, for the pale lager, we use Pilsner malts. Uh, for the ales, for the kettle sours, uh, we usually use uh, pale ale malts. Which I are- can't assume anything these days because mo- <laughs> there are many, many West Coast IPA brewers in America that now all just use Pilsner malt for their West Coast IPAs. And so um, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the whole world is getting uh, confusing in these ways. Uh, that's true. To be honest, uh, I think Pilsner malt and Pale Ale malt are kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do, or we did lots of ales with Pale Ale malts. We did lots of ales with Pilsner malts. Uh, we never did lager with Pale Ale malts, actually, come to think of it. I tried it. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those two malts are base malts. They are very close sure. uh, color-wise. They are very close uh, with all the all the main attributes. So you can't really go wrong if you use one or the other, I think. But, again, it's uh, up to the brewers to try it, try it out. Again, I did that lots of times. Tried two batches, use different one for one, different one for the other one. See the difference. See what do you like best. That's that's the most important. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we kind of, uh, for top fermenting beers, we are usually using pale ale malts. Sometimes we do a bit of it, a uh, f- uh, bit of the grain bill with the Pilsner. Mm-hmm. But, again, depends. Also, sometimes we play with malts from different suppliers. Because, uh, I think... Was because before we started recording, I was saying we used uh, for two batches two different suppliers of Pilsner malt, and the beers were actually darker and lighter. Mm. It was p- same same bill, everything was same. Just different supplier of Pilsner malt, <laughs> and I like this one that we use. That's the darker one because it gives that uh, more fullness that complements the decoction. But uh, sometimes, if I want uh, lighter lager, I'll go for the other supplier, other Pilsner malt. That's a bit lighter, a bit uh, drier, maybe. Mm-hmm. And again, depends what I have in mind in the final beer. Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about some of the other. I mean, you mentioned now that you used uh, Saz Special in the pa- in the uh, pale ale, basically. Um, how do, how do you approach the rest of the hops in that beer? That was pretty easy. <laughs> Misni Ale, uh, we brewed for our, I think, second birthday. And I wanted something that's approachable because we have lots of people that don't drink craft beer usually. Right. And we introduced them to craft beer. So I wanted something that's approachable, that's drinkable, not overpowering, but still great. So I went for uh, Citra and Mosaic. What else can you do, right? Hey. <laughs> so... Uh, that was easy, but uh, we do pale ale malt uh, only. We do sauce special for the kettle, uh-huh. and then we dry hop with uh, citra and mosaic for uh, fermentation and lagering. Now we are playing around with the dosage, uh, no, not the dosage, but the times of the addition. Uh, we used to do it uh, four times, including the whirlpool. It doesn't work that well for us. Uh, 
first thing is our kettle isn't great for whirlpool additions mm. because uh, you know, as I was explaining before, it's uh, he, uh, it's steam heated and uh, it's very well insulated. So <laughs> if we are lucky, sure. we get down to 95, 94 yeah. degrees in half an hour <laughs> without without the heat exchanger. Yeah. So yeah. the addition, if we add hops at whirlpool now, we wait for the temperature drops at 95 at least celsius again but uh, whirlpool doesn't work for for us if we don't use the heat exchanger which we do sometimes but it's kind of with this technology is kind of uh, <laughs> complicated um, decoction for everything but we can't cool down for the whirlpool that just uh <laughs> that just all piece of equipment you got your priorities i understand i understand now this is uh again martin matushka's design he sure. uh, designed it the uh, lotterton that's the old uh, pot from I think milk shop or kitchen, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. And the kettle was uh, designed and uh, welded by him and his friend, so it's kind of fun. But it it was a time when you didn't need to cool down whirlpool, basically. You, sure, did, you sure. didn't add so much hops in whirlpool. <laughs> so different time. We can do it. Uh, it's just hard, and we don't do it for many beers. So whirlpool small, small addition, and then we used. You used to go three times in the fermentation, the transfer basically with the yeast. We put the first one, then the second one when we close it for the further carbonation. And the third time was when we were transferring between the tanks. Hmm. Now we do uh, only two additions uh, which work better. We tried out lots of different ways. Two additions uh, when we close it and then when we transfer it or when we drop the yeast from the CCT that works best for us now here in this with this technology so that's that's the dry opening we use usually do this way for all the beers uh, I had a friend of mine he brewed a, he has a frying brewery he brewed the beer here he's doing one edition only I like the two editions better because I think it gives more of those aromas that we want to the beer but again, playing around with it depends on the beer. And they're always trying to figure out if there isn't a better way to do it or better times to put the hops in, so on. Sure, sure. Are there any other kind of Czech peculiarities to your ale fermentations and the way that you all you approach this just because uh, here we are and, uh, you know, and, and things are just... You just do ways in a tradition or do things in a traditional way. <laughs> I think uh, that's it, really. The decoction, yeah. <laughs> the hop additions in the boil, and the rest is uh, basically do what what serves best the final beer, right? What's yeah. be best for the aromas. Uh, found out that uh, those two additions of hops is best, and also that uh, which is interesting. If we transfer the whole ale or IPA or whatever the top fermented beers, if we transfer to the bright tank. It never smells as nice as when we when we keg it off and pour the ales from the kegs. And hmm. the same goes for the lagers, but in the opposite way, the lager is always better from the tank than from the keg. Interesting. Just interesting. We are trying everything really, and I want to come back and talk about that service. But let's first talk about uh, you know this very pink beer that's still in front of me, this, uh, this kettle sour that you <laughs> brew with decoction, mm -hmm. um, that is pink. It's very colorful and very, you know, fruit flavored, um, you know, and crafted in a, 
you know, maybe slightly more complex way than uh, most American brewers would uh, go about that. Yeah, I think so. Well, I came tastes kettle sours or sours, American sours when I was in the US. I think when it was starting, really. But uh, to me, it was something different, something I really enjoyed. I like it as a cider in the UK, right? You have three beers you can't drink anymore. You have one cider. It kind of evens you out and you do want another beer. So it was always great. I love England and English uh, English ales, real cask ales and so on and ciders as well. But the kettle sours or the sours were awesome. I liked it. And when I came here, I was like, you know, I had, have this idea. Uh, I first brewed it in, in Vancouver and it was very wild. <laughs> it was a uh, different experience for me coming from Czech Republic, only having... Uh, experience with typical Czech ways of brewing and now you're adding lactobacillus to the kettle, you are aging it and so on. So it was a great experience. Uh, and I had in mind, take this and kind of add the things that I think are good for the beer from the Czech brewing culture, which is decoction, which makes the beer fuller. Therefore, to me, much more approachable for Czech people. And also uh, the decoction and addition of the raw barley that uh, keeps the foam up for the kettle sours. There's a way, obviously, you usually uh, take down the, the pH uh, to 4.5 or so because before that the proteins break, the lactobacillus break the proteins. So you, you won't avoid that, especially for us, when we want to pour the beer with the head, with the foam, and make it nice and uh, nice and... Uh, Looking like a Czech beer, basically. <laughs> I have never seen a kettle sour pour with a head like that before, and I have drunk many, many of them, many places around you know around the world. Uh, it was it's something else to get a, a kettle sour with that pink tinge to it and that that white head with a little bit mm -hmm. of pink in it, but a good solid inch of Czech style foam in this uh this dimpled mug that we're drinking it from uh and it feels like a very czech thing to even though the beer style itself you know may uh may have uh origins other places it, it's interesting and it's kind of fascinating to see this and at the same time you know you're making modern beers for for modern drinkers even here in prague yeah, yeah definitely i think uh we we are on the edge of the craft brewing scene and kind of a very hot space uh, very trendy place uh, where you come for a party but we still focus on the best brewing best pouring of the beer and we are kind of introducing people that would never come in contact with craft beer we are introducing them to those styles uh, to kettle sours to ales to ipas and so on so it's that kind of connection of the cultures of the craft beer scene of the geeks and people that uh, enjoy craft beer every day and with people from offices and people who want to come and party and we came to a point where if you come here you don't need to be afraid that you will get a bad beer or badly poured beer you just come here you know the beer is perfect and you can enjoy yourself 
And in that way, I think we are able to introduce those beers to the people. When I brewed the first kettle sour, the raspberry kettle sour that you have in front of you now, uh, it was kind of a revelation to a lot of people that come sure, here. A lot sure. of patrons are like, what's that? That's a pink beer. That's not a beer. <laughs> I was like, that's actually all the st- one of the oldest style of beer and so on. So it was fun. It was good. And we work with it. Uh, nowadays, it's our uh, most popular kettle sour, really. Uh, we do kettle sours mainly because I like the cleanness of the of the sour of the milk uh, milk lactobacillus sourness, and it gives the fruit the ability to showcase and you know the color, the aroma, the taste, and so on. We also do well. We play around with it. I actually did uh, 100% uh, Brettanomyces IPA last year. Hmm. It was fun. That was interesting, and I put 200 liters in a in a barrel in the cellar. So it's aging. It's aging beautifully, actually. I tried it uh, about two weeks ago, and I can't wait another half a year or a year for it's finished. So that's another way to introduce to people. We had the fresh IPA, bread IPA on top, and we do have those 200 liters that will mm. go into the bottles, and we will see the difference but most of the people that drunk it here never heard about retinomyces so sure another, sure another nice way to introduce them let's let's talk about service for a little bit like uh you know as we mentioned before you've got four serving tanks behind the bar you've got side pull lucre faucets on everything uh even your modern contemporary beer styles are served off of some cool new lucre faucets with a, a you know a vertical pull lucre faucet that still allows for the same kind of control as you pour everything whether it's a pink raspberry kettle sour or whether it's a you know pale check lager uh, brewed in a traditional style you know is served and presented in this kind of way in a consistent mug across everything you know chilled down sitting in a pool of, of you know as everyone does serve here um, you know, there, that focus on proper service, you, those taps are, have three different serving temperatures. You very, you know, clearly approached all of that for all of these beers so that they're, you know, served at the, the appropriate temperature. You know, talk to me a little bit about that approach to service. And, and uh, you know, obviously that's one of the, the you know, the two pillars, uh, the brewing and the service together here that form the, the fundamental foundation of the brewery um you know but that's a piece that often doesn't get paid as much attention to especially in the united states as as i'm sure you've seen in your experience there exactly well it's not just uh, the u.s it's i think rest of the world and czech pouring school is something that we are able to export to anywhere else in the world even germany and rest of the europe it's a special way of pouring beer. It's a special way of taking care of the beer. And here we try to showcase both of those words. The best ability to care about the brewing and the beer. And the best uh, ability to care about beer and pouring beer. And from my personal experience, I came to <laughs> actually know that is uh, it makes a huge difference if you pour the beer properly. If you take care of the taps, of the pouring, of the glass, it makes a huge difference to the final taste of the beer. I had not very good beers that were poured properly from a good tap, and they tasted pretty good. And then I had great beers from tops that were dirty and poured 
not so good and you can drink it so yeah uh, it's uh it's something that i that was explaining before we started record uh i came to know here in koji when i came in contact with people from ambiente who uh through locals they uh came to know very much about pouring it completes the cycle for the brewmaster because you can brew the best beer you can if you send it somewhere that you don't you are not sure that they take good care of it you don't really have a control over that uh, final product which is kind of a shame so here it kind of completes the cycle that we have the control and we take the best care we can about the beer and it starts with the glasses with cleaning the glasses each glass here is cleaned by hand with a sponge it's not glass washer because glass washer is hygienically clean but not beer clean really uh, if you ever get a glass uh, full of beer and uh, bubbles are sticking to the side of the glass that's not really nice, not really good. It looks bad and it's not a beer clean glass. You need to take the sponge, go into the glass and take all the all the dirt out of the glass and then you can pour the beer inside. That's the first step. Second step is uh, we do have it in the... And you can hear your bartenders behind us <laughs> doing yeah, that yeah. as we are talking right now. Exactly. You know, cleaning each glass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are yeah. open for an hour now. It's nice weather here in Prague now and everyone's outside, which is uh, really cool after that winter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they are, every glass is cleaned by hand and then you are cleaning about two, four thousand glasses a day by hand. Wow. Only. And when it's clean, you put it in a pool with water, cold water. The temperature should be less than 10 degrees Celsius, and that's perfectly prepared for the beer. That's first step. Uh, the second step, kind of a behind the scenes step, is taking care of the lines. We do the CIP of the lines every week. Mm. Uh, we put the line on water after each keg, so the yeast are washed out. And then every week we take out take the uh, the heads for the topping of the kegs. We take the faucets. We take them apart, put them in chemical, clean it all every week, like that. Every and week? You, every week you, yeah. so you clean it, you CIP it. And after each keg, we put it on water, just run the water through, and then you tap another keg. Mm -hmm. We really need to have the lines clean, and we, re we take good care of the beer lines and the faucets and the kegs and everything. Uh, other thing is you always keep the kegs in the chill room, you have it uh, you have it cold and uh, you don't want to uh, expose the beer to bad temperatures right, and right. so on right and those are all the things that you do before you start pouring the beer if you do all of this uh, there are other things that can impact it uh, one is the Luca Luca faucet mm -hmm. the 180 uh, degrees uh, faucet or the ones that we have here we are actually uh, the ones that we have at the front tap those are special tops that were developed uh, for us and they finally started to sell them so i'm sure you will talk with lucre guys about that yeah, uh, yeah. they're very proud of it took some time but they're great uh they're the same principle ball valve just uh 90 degrees from the top so for american brewers that are looking for taps that work the way yeah, american yeah. taps tend to work with tap handles and mm. whatnot you can get all of that lucre functionality now exactly. in that kind of you know vertical uh, oriented yeah, yeah. tap rather than side pull. Exactly, and uh, it's great. Uh, the reason was uh, this was 
pub and we wanted nine tubs next to each other. If you take the 180 degrees, it's about uh, 25 centimeters that you need a space for one tub. Yeah, if you take yeah. nine tubs, it's pretty long, <laughs> long tub. So, so this uh, lets you put those same number of tabs in exactly. just a smaller yeah, yeah. width. The, Edit uh, edit value for American, especially American uh, market, is that you have the handle that you can put on top or screw right. on top, which uh, lots of the breweries in the US do. And uh, also, it's kind of uh, better for people that are not uh, used to it to work with this one than from the side pool. Although side pool now in America has its own special cachet, yeah. just because. You know, it's like anything that's different. It just looks cool, you know, looks a little interesting. And it makes me say, you know, makes a consumer look at that and say, oh, what beer are you pouring on that? Tab? It's, it's the same kind of Guinness tap effect they would also have. And like that one serves on a different kind of thing. I wonder what's special about that. I want to try that. That's that's a thing, actually. To me, it doesn't matter what tap you have, but uh, you need to know what you do. If you are, and uh, I basically learned that from Lukai Svoboda, master bartender for Pilsner, well, one of the best uh, topsters. And if you know what to do, you can pour great beer from every tap. Doesn't matter. You know, you need to know what to do. But if you don't, it doesn't matter if you have a side pole, it doesn't matter. Beer won't be good. You need to work with it and you need to know what to do. Even with the classic taps uh, that uh, here as well, we have it. A lot, most of the places have the normal tap. You can work with it a way that the beer is uh, perfect. But uh, it comes down to people and to hands, as with everything, I think. It looks different. It looks great. Obviously, it's for the top man, it's really best. They love it because you can play around with it. You can do all sort of things with it. But at the end of the day, you need to know what you do and you need to understand the technology and the process. Sure, sure. Well, let's let's pull back out for a second before we before we close here. What do you what do you hope to achieve with the with the brewery here? What do you what's the ultimate goal of this? You've carved out a craft space and a pretty cool space for a craft approach to beer here in Prague. Um, what, over the next five years, where do you see this going? And, uh, you know, what, what's the ultimate vision for this brewery here? So I think the first thing, uh, that came to mind when we opened, uh, kind of fulfilled itself or we did fulfill it, uh, was the connection, the showcase of the connection of the brewing and pouring which is something that needs to be understand, I think. And uh, if you take it from the brewer's perspective, that's something that uh, completes your beer, that gives you that edge, that gives you the feeling that you have the best beer, best served beer. And the connection is something that Pilsner Urkel does for some time. It was the first. It's uh, taking care of their pups, of their pouring, of their topmen, uh, which local, uh, local or uh, eight or nine pups of locals, they do the pouring, but they take Pilsner Urquell. Here is the connection of the brewery with those uh, principles of pouring, with the craft of pouring. And I think we did that in past four years. We did that quite well. Um, we also became a very cool place for parties. <laughs> but <laughs> sure, again, sure. I, 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 
like to think about it as a place when you don't have to be worried about what beer you get. You know you get great beer, you know you get a beer that's very well cared for, and you go there because there's a good party, we have DJs on usually Thursday, Fridays, we have DJs and it's good place to party. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, the beer is always the main focus for us. And as an aside, I love that a, cha- a, a, a like a, a group of local pub restaurants like Local could differentiate itself here in Prague based on the quality of the beer service. That that I, I wish that were something that would define those things in the United States. It seems that you know, especially in the United States, we are more focused on quantity than quality. Mm. And that it's the number of beers you have on tap versus how well you serve them. I think that that's an inspiring kind of approach to say, we're going to present beer in the best possible way. Everything is going to be clean. Everything is going to be cared for. And you're going to get the beer exactly as the brewer intended it. And I think that that's a, that's a beautiful way to approach even something like that, even if that's not exactly, you know, this brewery. I, I think that's a, a cool cool way to look at this oh definitely i think uh, you have it head on uh, and uh, locals as such they are not part of pilsner Rockwell. Right. they are run by separate company sure and the name is they have the one of the best pilsners ever and every other every second restaurant in czech republic have pilsner Rockwell on top but locals one of the best ones because of the way they take care of the beer because of the way they pour it so that's that's something different, really. When you, when and you people learn that take they a know. perspective, they know the beer, and yeah. when they taste it there, and it tastes that much better there, there's they, something to it, right? They want to go and back that's there. A, right? That's a Czech school of pouring, yeah, uh, connecting with the Czech school of brewing. You know, it's those two old crafts which were, well, even brewing during communism, brewing and pouring was like, you know, <laughs> in the background are coming back to life and connecting together which is which is beautiful and you can see the see the result right so uh, if it's Pilsner Rockwell in locals or craft brewery in Kohouti it's something that completes the process and completes the final taste of the Czech beer if it's Pilsner style beer or if it's uh, Kettle Sour or New England IPA it just Tastes so much better. <laughs> Watching them come together in Cote is uh, it's inspiring, and I love seeing this focus on both of those things at the same time. And the beers are are pretty fantastic as well. Um, Lucas, thanks for joining us. I think it's a good place to to close. G and D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with twenty four seven service and support. BSG hops are sourced directly from growers and processed at their FSSC certified facility. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. Join the AccuBrew community and experience 24-7 peace of mind. ProBrew's rotary can fillers reduce waste and produce higher quality packaged beer. Indie Hops has the hops you need. Twin Monkeys offers customizable packaging solutions for every craft. Discover Soft Brew BR8, the first dry Brett by Fermentus. And ABS is your full-service brewery outfitter. Of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast and any others, go to beerandbrewing.com, click that subscribe button, 
let us know that this content matters to you. And I mean, who knows? We probably will have a, re a recipe, an all access recipe out uh, out there sometime soon, if it's not already out there uh, from Kahuti. And uh, and uh, yeah, so Lucas, if you want to learn more about your brewery and uh, where they find you both out there in the broader digital world as well as in real life. First of all, thank you very much uh, for coming in. Uh, it's my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for all the questions. We could, I, I could keep talking about decoction all yeah. day long. <laughs> Me too. That's a problem. I usually <laughs> have a problem stuff. So uh, that's great. Uh, anyways, uh, come here. That's the best. Uh, talk to us. If not, I'm on Instagram. Hit me up and uh, with any questions, uh, anything you like, anything you are interested with. I'm happy to share and happy to learn as well. So, This brewery hits that beautiful nexus of, of modernity and uh, tradition and keep doing what you're doing. It's been fantastic talking. Cheers. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Let's have another beer. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.